Welcome to episode 18 of the God Learners, a podcast about gaming and reading in the mythical world of Gloretha. I'm Ludo, aka Lord Abdul, and uh, Jörg isn't here uh, today for this episode because he needs to rest, taking a sick leave. Uh, but I have with me Drew Baker, uh, a, a regular of the show. Hi, Drew. Hi, how's it going? <laughs> Good. Well, you've been doing all the all the Biturian Varosh episodes so far, so I guess um, I figured I should bring you back for the last one. So yeah, the, to, today we'll hopefully um, get to say farewell to Biturian. But before that, um, can you introduce yourself quickly for those who haven't heard about you yet? Certainly. So uh, if you haven't heard of me yet, then you should be obviously going back and going through the whole of the God Learners podcast to um, catch up on Britain's travels. Yeah, you should. <laughs> but if uh, if you're coming fresh and you'd like a bit of an overview, I'm Drew Baker. I'm an author on the Johnston uh, Companion publication series. And I guess that, that's it, really. <laughs> yeah well you've done quite a bunch of books including a book on uh travels across dragon pass and prax which is very applicable to the topic at hand but uh i assume that these days you have been working a lot on uh the duck pack books you're probably still working on the last one i assume yes indeed um we have now finished all three of the um, the, fir- the the first three of the um, the series, which are uh, out now and are available for purchase. Thank you very much. What is Duck Pack? So Duck Pack is a look at one of the um, let's say controversial um, <laughs> but much loved <laughs> races of Dragon Pass, um, the humanoid ducks or drools that live down in the southwest corner of Sartor. Yeah, they're very marmite. As we would say um, in Britain, you either love them or hate them, yeah. and we just thought that they needed a a bit of a, a, a re look at and a rethink. So Neil Gibson and I and um, Frank Montello, who's our um, editor, uh, looked at the species again to see how that might work in the new role playing Glorantha. So we've produced three books. The first book is just a general introduction. The second one is looking specifically about the ducks as player characters. And the third one is a a solo quest, um, which you can play either by yourself or can be adapted for um, one-on-one play with a GM um, that takes an interesting look at um, one aspect of the, uh, the ducks. Um, region and um, ideas surrounding mm-hmm. And the fourth one, which we're finishing off editing and, and playtesting at the moment, is a quite large book of scenarios, which we're trying to edit down something more reasonable. Yeah, there's supposed to be like three scenarios in it? Currently there's six. Oh my god. Yeah, just release two books then. <laughs> um, well, the Yes, that's 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 always a possibility, but we need to watch our sizes for print on demand. So. Yeah, yes, of course. Uh, well, both for that and for also price points, I assume. Absolutely. 
We, uh, yeah. we don't want to bankrupt too many people. And, uh, oh yeah, and last bit of news about the podcast. We reached the end of all of our interviews for the initiation series, which is our parallel series of episodes where we interview newbies to Glorenda and ask them about, you know, their experience starting to read and play in Glorenda. I'm going to schedule a few more interviews. So you might see um, a handful more coming uh, in the new year. I think we can go to, unless you have more news, Drew. I guess the, uh, being keen to always monitor what's going on on the, on the JC, the thing which I've been um, excited about was um, in A. Thompson's public republication, which is um, up now, um, which is New Pavis, the city on the edge of, Forever, which is a compilation or the, the first volume um, of a compilation of stuff which was done for RuneQuest 2, specifically about New Pavis and the, and the Big Rubble, which is obviously something I'm interested in with <laughs> um, the Rubble Redux series. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, it's definitely worth a, a five-star review and a, a, a must-have if you're interested in Pavis and the Big Rubble, but it is set before the Dragon Rise. Right. It's like the RuneQuest 2 era of like 16, 18 or something like that. Yeah. So that's, that's something people should be aware of. I mean, it has been updated uh, more or less to um, RQG, and it is uh, a your Grantham Mayberry publication. Okay, that's all, all I'll say on that. But um, I'm very happy to, to see that in, in print and, and pouring through it. Yeah, did you have the original Pavis and Big Rebel Companions? Uh, I only have one, and that was the first issue. Right. And trying to find them is like, like trying to find um, rocking horse poo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're hard to find on eBay. What, what's what's that expression? Trying to find a rocking horse poo? Yeah, as rare as rocking horse poo. <laughs> I quite rare. Um, <laughs> nice. Never heard that before. Okay, um, so the main topic is our part five of the travels of Bitern Varosh. Uh, today, we will finally say farewell to Bitern Varosh and his travels through Prax. Uh, Biturian is the point of view character in Chaosium's seminal RuneQuest supplement Cult of Prax, the book that uh, actually put the Glorantha in the RuneQuest. Uh, well, as far as I know, because I wasn't there back then, uh, but that's what people tell me. Um, Bitterin Varosh is a wandering merchant priest of Isaris. He's wealthy and connected, but his story sort of tells us how he nearly lost everything and found something better instead. Um, I, I, that's the thing I get from it, I, at least. Um, the tale spans from 1614 to 1615, and you can go listen to previous episodes, like Drew said, if you want to get caught up. 
or you can hop onto the caravan right now. Um, but here's a, a summary of the story so far. Drew is going to help me in telling the story so far. So, Return's travel start out as as a oasis hopping trek through the western parts of Prax. Return witnesses local customs, hires mercenaries, trades goods, and runs into an increasing amount of trouble and misfortune. So uh, early on in the story, he buys a slave called Noraleep, and as part of the deal, he also gets her younger brother, Morak. Over the months of travel, Norak becomes less of a slave and more of a companion to Pichu. Morak is also revealed to be a special child with horns appearing on his forehead. Lunar merchants and missionaries seem extremely eager to acquire Morak in the name of the Red Emperor, of course, which obviously frightens Patron quite a lot. Bitrum visits New Pavis and witnesses lunar assassins attack a city priest, or lengthy warriors fend them off, and the priest uh, cracks a city, city harmony spell to make everyone behave themselves. Bitrum then goes to some county where he is abducted and forced to play a light bringer role in a Yamalian ritual. He barely survives this, and after spending most of his magic and his uh, ally spirit's power, things go downhill from there. He ends up in Corflu, uh, doing a little business, and his mules die of sickness. Uh, Lightbringer's summons from a healer in need of help forces him to part with some of his last valuable goods in order to decline it. Uh, back in New Paris, Viturian gets Morak studied by various sages who estimate his survival to be extremely low and whoever owning him to be extremely cursed. Morak's best chance is to go live with his father's skin if Viturian can find them, like it's not even clear who his father or what his father was at this point. The curse, along with Viturian's growing feelings for Nora Yip, lead to the decision to free them both uh, from their slavery. I'm not sure which of the two arguments um, is what made Bidurian decide on that. Norayip isn't fooled, she points it out. Uh, but still, it looks like she cares for Bidurian too, uh, unless that's Stockholm Syndrome. I'm not going to go into this relationship anyway. It's touchy in 2022, especially. Um, last we saw Bitterian, Norayip and Morak. They were heading north through the Pairing Stones where they witnessed some initiations of the cult of Orlanth. Um, there, Bitterian hired some guards and he heads further north to the edge of Prax following some unmentioned lead. For those of you at home, uh, Cult of Prax, if you don't have it already, is available in PDF and print on demand from Chaosium. And we are starting from page 87 with um, the bit of Bitterian's story that corresponds to Kiger Leiter. Kiger, how do you pronounce it? I always said Kiger Leiter. Kiger Leiter. Okay, cool. But then notoriously, my pronunciations are wrong. Um, Of course, um, I recently learned that there is some sort of like fan in joke about Kaigo Lighter uh, in the in the world of RuneQuest. Go on. Well, apparently there's this thing that Kaigo Lighter is the cult that has been the most covered 
in RuneQuest because I think it's in the original rule rule book uh, or it's in uh, Rune uh, in Cult of Prax, but then again it's covered in uh, in some of the RQ three. Yeah, it's covered there, but then there's also troll gods or something like I don't know. There, there's I probably listeners who have been there all the way might know better, but I've I got the understanding that there is a joke that Kyger Lighter is the most covered um, cult, like the the one with the most write ups or something like that. Well, uh, every troll is a lay member of Kyger Lighter, so. Perhaps that's why. Or maybe it's a way to troll the troll gods. I don't know. Anyway, um, <laughs> Biterion and his companions are, arrive in a place called uh, Troll Town, north of the Paring Stones. Uh, a minority of humans there live with many trolls. The local inn looks so bad that Biterion opts to camp in the fields. Uh, over the next few nights, they manage to trade with the local trolls up to the point of meeting a Kyger lighter priestess who trades fairly exotic items such as um, rune magic and dragon teeth. I wasn't able to figure out where tr this troll town is. I don't know if you could figure it out. No, I mean, it's it, it just states that it's in troll town. And looking at the, the map, it's about halfway between Paring Stones and Darion, the north-south axis, yeah. which puts it, what, 20, 25 kilometers as the crow flies? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's taken between his caravan a week or so to, to travel there, so you can't really tie it in to where it actually is. But it's below the foothills because that happens in the, the next... Yeah. Um, uh, because like he's going through these travels, but I get the sense that the area wasn't like as developed as it was later in the guide to Glorantha and all that. And so there's no mention of the, um, uh, the nine good giants, which are like supposedly like very stark looking mountains that rise sharply, um, just right there in the area. Yep. So I think the foothills and the area where he is, is actually like the, the bottom of these of these mountains. There's supposed to be also uh, the Leaping Place Falls nearby, which is supposedly like this really big uh, waterfall, which is very sacred to the cult of Zolafel. There is no mention of it either, so I suppose it wasn't invented yet. But yeah, nobody actually put the Troll Town reference, or maybe it's a temporary camp or something. I don't know, but yeah. Well, there's 800 or so trolls in there, which is quite a lot. I mean, the, well, I think usually when people say 800 trolls, what they mean is 200 trolls, which is still quite a lot, and like 600 trollkin, if not more. Like, I actually have some figures for you on that. Oh, shit. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> so about 30% of the population would uh, be expected to be dark trolls okay. um, in, in a normal troll community, with the rest being trollkin and a few great trolls. So there we yeah. go. Yeah. So if it is 800 in total, I mean, that's coming up for a 1,000, um, which would fit on the Argan Argar Atlas as a, yeah. as, a, as a town, and it's not there. Yeah. And there's only 70,000 trolls in Dragon Pass. Well, that doesn't count as Dragon Pass. Like, we're almost in Shadow's Dance and all that. So I'm not, I'm not sure which... You know, uh, census they would have, uh, they would show up on. Yeah. 
And if you want to do a comparison with the big rubble, there's 25,000 Mars in, in the rubble. So, mm. you know, it's a small but not insignificant community. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm not sure what, what that is, but um, anyway. Um, I did like that the inn sucks and that whereas usually like a, a, a wandering merchant would stay at some caravanserai or inn or whatnot, having like a couple of inns that suck so bad that it's actually pot potentially less dangerous than go camp in the fields and have to have like guards and, and stuff like that. That's um, my my players are actually driving a caravan these days across uh across dragon pass so i need to remind myself to to do that a couple of times to force them to camp outside <laughs> yeah i know mean, I, I like the the innkeeper the innkeeper's um statement that the trolls occasionally stayed there because it was the best place in town well it's the only place in town for a start <laughs> yes and that the trolls occasionally stayed there so yeah, it's not their main clientele. And if there's, uh, I think there's thir about 30 humans yeah. in in the in the place. So, yeah, it not, doesn't really sound like it's a place where traders go. I like the idea that maybe people stay at the inn when the fields are full. <laughs> <laughs> quite, quite possibly, quite possibly. I mean, it's, it's interesting that, that there's fields there as well, because that means that somebody's practicing agriculture. If we take fields to mean literally fields. Oh right. No, I I I interpreted it more as you know open space where you can camp, not not as actually uh agriculture. But yeah, who knows? So yeah, interesting. So we'll bed down in the open ground and yeah. set watch over the animals. So um obviously we have some guards. In, in our group, so we know that there's obviously our three main characters, and we know we've got some guards because we picked up Croker and um, a bunch of guards up at um, Pairing Stones. Yeah, the Pairing Stones, so it's a bunch of like oral length adventurers, probably initiates. Yeah. And so, as is tradition, the first trolls you see are the Trollkin who come and, you know, come and see what, what's up before the actual trolls come. I like that later, you know, as the trolls get more comfortable coming to talk to Viterion, um, uh, like it, the story shows how expandable Trollkin are to trolls because the priestess, the Kyger lighter priestess effectively uses a Trollkin as carpet to walk <laughs> to yeah. walk on the ground. Uh, this is just amazing. And, and then they, um, I think there's a couple of other Trollkin that, that get, killed or whatever just for uh just for fun uh i don't remember exactly how but but yeah she just steps on trollkin instead of touching the ground love it uh one thing i particularly love and i also need to remember for my own games is that this priestess the kyger lighter priestess refuses to speak in like trade talk or, or dark tongue or anything she speaks in old pavic and Bitterin suspects that she does this specifically to basically lower his bargain skill so that she has the upper hand. And I need to remember to do that to my players. Remind me not to play one of your games. <laughs> now, the, the thing is that the language <laughs> rules are a bit murky. 
especially because between the starter set and the main rule book, it's one of those areas where the starter set is actually not a simplified version of the rule book. They actually completely change the language rules. Like they work differently yeah. in the starter set. So in the starter set, your social skills are limited by your language skills. So in the same way that ride limits your combat skills. Exactly. Um, Which I think is, is a nice mechanic because it works the same way as the ride. But it also means that unless you put points in your native language, you can't have, you know, orate or charm or uh, bargain go over 50% because 50% is your starting skill yes. in, in, in your, so that forces you to actually, uh, you know, get better at your language, which is, which is interesting. Whereas the rule book, it's a bit more hand wavy. It's just that if somebody has less than 50%, then um, I think it's something like double the lowest skill and that's the chance of a misunderstanding but it doesn't have like an actual simple mechanic to affect bargaining it's more like the gm rolls that and if it's a fail then they can come up with whatever misunderstanding they want or something it's i don't know hilarious consequences as always <laughs> um, yes uh, I should like to just just point out that there is a character in in our game that uh, makes all of uh, his language roles, but just then totally screws them up by insulting everybody. Um, unfortunately, he is our glorious leader, um, and <laughs> as we're playing militia, we are not well liked. <clears throat> anyway, how, how do you how do you use the language skills, by the way, in your game? Uh, we do it through roles. So yeah, no, um, I mean, how how do you mechanically bring the skill in play um like do you use do you use it as an augment for other skills or do you it's used on a really on a case-by-case basis when there's um the chance of a misunderstanding um then it's used otherwise it's generally taken that if it's uh if we, if we have somebody who speaks the language at a certain percent and um, mm-hmm. then that can that can be understood. So it's used for refining um, situations when when things really matter. Right. Um, yeah. In my game, I think it's mostly used as an augment for orate or charm or stuff like that. I want to point out also that once again, what is supposed to be like an in-world story uses a lot of game terms in the sense of like the the spell names and all that i'm once again doing going to assume that glorenthans don't speak that way and this is more a for more of a translation into english sort of um uh problem yeah i mean it's uh i think we have to remember i think um you said you know that blade sharp isn't necessarily called blade sharp over in Israel, it's yeah, exactly. just the, the yeah. way which we do it. But you know, this is um, Baturian's, um diary, so this is what he calls it. No, well, maybe, maybe he uses the the God Learner t- terminology, uh, the, the God Learner shorthand writing. Yes, he's yeah. <laughs> just trying to. You know, it comes down to it. Oh, I'm going to insult Israel this time. Uh, um, so 
Isseries always wants to try and make everything as, as easy for everybody to understand so that he can make a sale. So, yeah, true. You know, I was just saying, it's a Luna. It's not a Gilder or a Silver. Because just people are like, oh, a what now? So yeah. he'll, he'll, he'll just always be trying to promote you know, uh, a, a, a brand. So yeah. let's blame that on Osiris. Yeah. I blame everything on Osiris. <laughs> One of my uh, players, uh, Austin Conrad, actually, uh, who does like the Monster of the Month, uh, who did the Monster of the Month series on the Johnson Compendium, um, he has this thing where uh, when you speak in trade talk, he always tries to sort of phrase things in a sort of bargaining way or like sales pitch way, because he like in his in his head canon. Trade talk only has the minimum vocabulary needed for uh, making a sale, effectively. And so anytime you need to sort of use trade talk for something else, you have to actually reach for trade-related analogies and stuff like that, because the language itself lacks the vocabulary to talk about something else. So that's a nice bit of role-playing that he tends to do uh, when we use trade talk. So what are the what are our trolls after? Yeah, his uh, Sharon has gone to um, Troll Town to do trade, and yeah. it's it's not really. You get get the sense it's not just a stopover, going somewhere else. That you know, he's actually stopping here mm-hmm. because he has things in mind that he wants. So yeah, our trolls are after fresh butter, copper pots, fresh meat. New spearheads and silver. I mean, that's mm-hmm. kind of an eclectic set. Like, why a fresh butter? It's, it's a bit peculiar. Um, now, would fresh butter be available from a trader? Um, they've, they've come from Prax, so I guess, and it's sea season, so it wouldn't have melted, probably. <laughs> So we know the trolls are always hungry, but you know, just with butter, I don't know. Maybe it goes well with. It goes. With, I'm mm-hmm. French. Butter goes <laughs> with everything. <laughs> the trolls are French. <laughs> yes, uh, of course. From, see, I always thought they would have spoken, you know, in a, a more Teutonic accent. Um, but now I just my head cannon has just totally flipped, and um, the Moroccans are no longer French. Um, oh, the Moroccans the... were French. Oh yeah, of course. Why? Have you not seen the seen the the um, the cover of uh, RuneQuest Three Best Room? Yeah, that's obviously French. The like the Moroccans at the at the wheel, like the, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. So, what... so, so French. <laughs> Why? Just, just is. Okay. 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 I mean, maybe yeah. all creatures of darkness are French. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's possible. I wouldn't like to comment. Um, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the one thing that I was more confused about is when Bitterin says that he wants like dragon teeth, animal tails, and lead slinged stones with the mark of Kyger Lighter. And I'm like, dude, you are going to elf lands. Like you're on your way to an elf forest. And you want to carry like troll sling stones? I that doesn't sound very clever. Well, at this point, I put on my conspiracy theory hat. Oh my god! Okay, <laughs> um, and then 
take over the the, the very large shoes that you all would normally fill. <laughs> so, on the subject of the lead sling stones and magical lead armor, as you quite rightly say, they are heading apparently heading towards elf country. But also, uh, if they weren't, who are they going to sell those goods to? Because you would normally expect it the other way around. Um, they would um, be selling those goods to a troll community. So it could be that they're going to at some point return down to Paris and, and sell stuff on there, but that doesn't seem likely. So my conspiracy theory is that it must have been trolls, sir. Look, they've got the marker Kaigalite on them, said the dead lunar guard. Well, said the lunar guards to um, his commanding officer. <laughs> that these are just being used as regular slingshots by Sartorite rebels against the Lunars because mm. uh, if they go well, you know, it must have been it must have been the trolls because yeah, who else is going to be firing off and look there, yeah, firing off lead shot and they've got quite light as mark on them, so obviously it's trolls, it's not the rebels. Mm, yeah, like but that. Throwing yeah. a, an odd piece of uh, magical lead armor. Yeah, you know, because you you can't really sell troll size lead armor easily. Um, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, just a way of di- distracting um, the <laughs> uh, the lunars from what's actually going on. But there we go. Yeah. No, no, I I I, I buy that. I like uh, doing a bunch of uh, weird uh, spy craft stuff with the with the rebels. And, you know, let's face it, you know, he's a trader. That's the perfect person to be able to go around passing on information and let, let spying yep. for, for yep. whatever better work. Mm-hmm. I mean, the other the other items that you are after is in, are interesting as well. So dragon teeth? I mean, I mean, literal dragon teeth? Because aren't dragons quite big? Yeah, I, I assume that an ac- actual dragon teeth would be like, you know, 20 meters tall. So I think they probably are talking about dragon new teeth. That's what I would assume, or possibly something else. Or dream dragon teeth. I mean, like the, the dream dragon head that you see in the uh, Game Master pack. It's not that big. I mean, it's... Fits onto the belt, doesn't it? Yeah, so yeah, then. yeah. So maybe a dream dragon teeth. Although my understanding is that dream dragon corpses sort of disintegrate. Um, but they seem to disintegrate at various rates. So they could disintegrate over a matter of years, which means that you have years to carry uh, uh, dream dragon teeth uh on your belt indeed um and this also leads me to think that there is something to do with a partially decomposed dream dragon body yeah 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 where you can you know half of the ribs are missing but you can still find the liver and whatnot inside and uh, i mean there's something to do with it but uh, anyway um so if uh, following the white bull Campaign, Cassian's yep. in-house campaign. We'll remember that um, one of our characters has a dream dragon head, which is just paraded to um, get him to ruin all status <laughs> in more length. So, yes, 
But uh, I wonder if its charisma would go down as it starts to decay. Interesting. Oh my! Uh, yeah, no, tracking charisma is a whole is a whole thing. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole different kettle of fish. Yeah. So the the other thing which which Rena is now asking for is animal tales. Yeah. Now in the in these last three sections, they get mentioned quite a lot. Yes. So why um, is the question? Do do you want a completely bonkers conspiracy theory? Okay. You give me that one and I'll give you mine. <laughs> the completely bonkers um, uh, theory is that nobody ever said that Bitterin was human. So maybe he's a Tusk Rider. Oh. <laughs> That is kind of bonkers. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it, don't, it, don't look too much into it. <laughs> <What's yeah. yours? laughs> um, I just think that it's um, uh, Noriyip. I think it's her influence because we know that um, the burial rites for Aretha from back in that episode, humans yeah. are, are interred and only the tales of animals are buried. And I think what, what we're actually seeing here is her kind of exercising her... Um, more of her equal status now as yeah. a free woman and wife. I'm going to say wife because it yeah. says that she's uh, she is his wife mm-hmm. in a number of points. And so I think it's just her reclaiming part of her her heritage and saying, "No, these are these are her beasts. They're sacred to my goddess. They need to be dealt with in an appropriate manner." Mm. So, whereas before. Yeah, Bishra wouldn't be interested in some barbarian gods' era rituals. So the the goal here would be that we know the trolls have possibly taken, killed, and eaten a bunch of bisons and uh, llamas and whatnot. Um, But we are willing to pay money to get the tails and get those animals a sort of proper send-off as opposed to like is that mostly like it's not for actual monetary gain like an isaris would do but just for the soul of the animals yeah so i I think this this is a lost leader as it were Uh, i I think this is um not something that bichiran would normally be bargaining for but i think it's now his companion saying you know we, we need to do this this is the right right and proper thing Mm, fair enough. Yeah. What did you think of the Kyger Lighter Priestess who is asking for a whole bunch of rune spells and all that? And Beterian says, uh, her demands smacked of hero questing. And I Whisper, which is his allied spirit, said that she was followed by many spirits, some of them her ancestors and others bound. Yeah. So, I mean, you're going to make some wonderful insights into this. He's he's just stumbled into another hero quest again. I mean, everybody's hero questing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, every everybody's hero questing except for uh, except for um, except for Hiram. Yeah, except is he? Anyway, uh, we'll, uh, we'll leave that. So yeah, he's she's she's asking a lot. So yeah, I think that that's that's kind of interesting. I couldn't really work out what she might be up to and i was kind of hoping that you'll go oh that's plainly obvious she's doing this here i question oh okay i'm not i'm not that bright 
<laughs> so, um, I mean, she's she's offering in return a blinding summon ancestor, counter chaos, or crush. Uh, I think summon an- summon ancestor is a bit odd because I couldn't find that on the list for Kaigalita in RQ2. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's some specific ancestor, which... Which is what he get. gets. Is it? Yeah, he's... Yeah, he got some... He... Sorry, yeah. I guess yeah. That, so that's via Dako Fell. So, I mean, it's the question then is whose specific ancestor is he getting? But I mean, if he... If he gets it from some troll, there is a large chance that when he uses it, he gets a troll. Although you could also say that you get the spell and not the ancestor. I don't know. Yeah. Like I, I don't know. Do do you do you receive the like the blank spell, which then you which you can then use to summon one of your specific ancestors, or do you get a precast spell, which means that um, what you get is a spell to summon a specific ancestor of the troll priestess which which would be like a lot more fun to me yes uh, yeah um so i'm assuming you get a blank spell so you kind of fill in the name of the ancestor that your specific your your specific ancestor you're trying to summon but if it but if it was cast into (laughs) if it was cast into true stone which is enacting that spell and just holding it would yeah bring up the named ancestor oh it's yeah. interesting and upon these small details yeah 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 it's uh, it's one of those weird things with spell trading that i'm sure different groups handle differently at their table anyway but yeah so on the more mundane more more mundane side she's offering uh necklace of animals skulls and lead beads strung on not upon on human hair you know pretty bog standard yeah troll stuff 12 wooden staves each a meter long and topped with differently carved monster head so yeah they sound suspiciously like warding staves more yeah hmm so that's quite interesting and then a log which has seven dragon teeth in it and parts of eight others yeah we've got his um his teeth and obviously they are smaller than the two meter long <laughs> ones that we would expect yeah. from a normal dragon. Yeah, he got um, his dragon teeth, and then it's not ever mentioned again in the story. No. I think so. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Who cares? Uh, he just he just wanted dragon teeth to look cool, especially uh, when he gets to meet um, an important NPC later, maybe to look good. Uh, but anyway, okay. So any he, more on this uh, on this chapter? No, he he makes his trade. He hands over a. Or he says he gives um, some silver ear, ear, earrings, which is kind of a nice turn. And then the priestess throws the clacks to the crowd and the trollkin are trampled. Oh, right. This is where uh, more trollkin get killed, yes. Poor trollkin. It's a, it's a hard life. Let's move on to the next chapter. So the next chapter is in the Zorak Zoran cult write-up. So Bitterin's caravan reaches the foothills of, um, so like I said, as, as I assume, it's the nine good giant mountains. 
Yeah. But of course, it's the Zorak Zoran chapter, so they get ambushed during the night. Um, Bitterin wakes up to a Zorak Zoran berserker trying to cut him in half. Uh, he casts shield for, on himself to survive the blows. He summons an ancestor spirit to attack the troll in spirit combat and manages to escape. He says that his camp is being ransacked by other trolls. His bodyguards are getting slaughtered. His stuff is getting stolen. And uh, Morak, he witnesses Morak uh, basically get his hand, his hand cut off by uh, by a troll axe. Uh, Biterion tries his best to fight back with the little combat magic he has, but with limited results. But uh, all of a sudden, there is a Deus Ex Machina. A golden-clad warrior arrives and dispatches the trolls, and it happens to be Rurik, uh, <sighs> who is. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, you know, you need you need the guest star. Uh, Rurik was the Yelmalian rune lord who sort of actually kidnapped him back when he was in the Sendome County and he got forced to participate in a Lightbringer uh, ritual. But Rurik, you know, helps get rid of the of the trolls. Uh, some of them flee. Uh, Biterion heals Morak's arm. Then with Rurik and the surviving bodyguards, they find the troll camp nearby, but none of Biterion's stuff is there, so Biterion is still... Uh, upset at dawn they bury the tails of the mules they burn the gods bodies they burn the heads of the troll berserkers so they can come back as zombies and they say uh well let's keep going this sucks that's pretty much it yeah so when biturian wakes up and sees the berserker entering his tent and ready to cut him in half uh, so he summons an ancestor uh, which he doesn't know apparently because um, he uh, he says like he mentions that the ancestors tells him his name and I think he um, recalls a weird dance by the baboons and casts him an ancestor. So is it maybe like a baboon ancestor that he casts because it's a summon ancestor he got from the baboons or I'm not sure. Yeah, um, I mean this is. Uh, another one of those things. So we we know that he got it, uh, the summon ancestor from the baboons. Mm-hmm. He chooses not to do some specific ancestor that he's just acquired. Yeah. Um, we know that the summon ancestor wasn't cast into the true stone um, because the Shalana Arroyan didn't think that was appropriate. Yeah. So um, there's a little confusion um, in the description. Uh, it says, uh, it materialized between me and the troll. It's ancient eyes burned a feral, ye- feral, feral yellow. And he yawned hungrily. I knew what he wanted and cast my power to him instead of making defensive spells. Um, but then later in the next paragraph, the spirit whispered her name. Sauron, and then wrapped itself around mm. the troll. So, I mean, uh, is is it? Are we talking about the troll whose eyes burnt with a feral yellow and hung, yawned hungrily and knew what he wanted, obviously to eat uh, everything? So it's a little confusing, but mm-hmm. 
Or maybe it is a uh, non-binary uh, ancestor spirit who uh, goes by both he and she. I don't know. <laughs> it, it could. It could be. Um... I'm going with the, the um, with the typo uh, theory here. But I mean, when it says ancient eyes burned feral yellow and yawned hungrily, I mean that to me sounds rather baboonish. It does. It. it... It really doesn't, you, know, you can't really get... Which terrible. means that when you get a summon ancestor for somebody, it's the summon ancestor of their lineage. Which means that the summon specific ancestor he got from the troll would summon a troll spirit. But that's my reading, and again, I'm just trying to justify getting my players to summon the weird ass ancestors anyway so yeah <laughs> i mean I, I would go for that for dramatic effect or you know go back well how far back did your ancestry go well know? true i mean you might you might have some baboon ancestors from back before the dawn i don't know yeah i mean <laughs> who, who knows what these um tusk rider traders are really <laughs> um yeah. but that's, that's that, that said summon ancestor you know, you could roll badly because there is a table when you when you do summon ancestors, there is a table to first figure out is it a friendly, neutral, or malign malign? Malign. Malign, yeah. thank you, spirit. And second, uh based on that roll, you also get different stats. So you could end up with like an ancestor spirit showing up with like one D6 power or something, like a really weak one. So yeah, you gotta be you gotta be lucky. Yeah. What what does it mean when it says I cast my magic power to him instead of making defensive spell? Like is it like a command spell to command the spirit? Well, yeah. Again, the having having gone through the ancestral spirit spell both in RQG and in RQ2, there doesn't mm -hmm. appear to be any kind of giving your power or magic points to support a spirit yeah even if the spirit was hungry so um, the only other thing which i could think of is that he is talking about the troll and he's trying to do something to knock down the troll's power in some way mm. but uh, yeah I'm, I'm i'm not sure what's going yeah. on there okay Casting, I, I guess he could be casting something like spirit screen on the spirit. Um, Can you get spirit screen on the spirit, though? I, oh, no, that I, seems I, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, he's doing something. He's doing something. Yeah. Uh, um, then there's some fighting. My next note is that after all the fighting, when he's healing Morak... That would require like a, a six points of healing, right? To reattach yeah. the, the the hand. So it's it's somewhat easy to do in RQG because you cast heal wound with six magic points. So as long as you have a rune magic point and enough magic points, you can sort of do it, except for the few cults that don't have heal wound. Uh, but back in RQ2, that was probably like not as easy to get like something that can do heal six uh no you'd have to have heal six as the spell in your head yeah um and we and six points on you know is is not a small amount to 
have carrying around. Yeah, that takes up a lot of your uh, charisma limit for spirit magic. Um, so unless you had like some rune magic also, I mean, he's a he's an Isaris priest, so he could be carrying anything, but still. Yeah. yeah. Um, we also know he's got speed dot up yeah. um, in his head as well, because he's cast that. Yeah, he's so, casting that to fire at the troll with only little success. Well, no, he, he succeeds when he uses speed art, but then he fires another arrow without it, and that's useless. So Yeah, um, on the on the spell front, we, we note that he's got his shield back. Yeah. Um, so we know that he cast that into the true stone, so the poor old Shalana Roy is off using that somewhere, and there's obviously a shield because he's got that back, and what? Obviously, previously, it's also got um, Pathwatch and um, Crate Market back. So, yeah. Wait, because like when you cast the spell into the True Stone, you don't get it back until it's been spent? That's correct. Mm -hmm. Or is it that you don't get the rune point back? Well, I mean, because uh, rune magic works differently in RQ2 and RQG anyway, yeah. so it's it's tricky to, to reason about. I'm not going to try to reason too much <laughs> so with the the combat that goes on i was trying to do a forensic and work out how many people because <laughs> yeah. is it is it a fair fight i think yeah. there's seven humans before rick appears um <laughs> so there are so eight humans yeah and seven trolls of which there are two great but trolls are in there is that counting morak that that's counting counting morak Okay, um, but so only like four fighters. Yeah, that five or five, five, four. five guards, right? Including including Choker, right? Um, and um, our three party members. So that that's as as the the minimum. Right. Um, I think it's interesting. To, to two points on on the combat are interesting. One, you've got. Um, Bitterin only really gets outraged when he sees a dark troll trying to uh, nick stuff. Yes, um, because he's got his shield, he's got his shield spell up, and he says he's still brave enough. Snatches forth a bow and arrow, and he's he's going for the troll who's nicking stuff. But then here's the screen and casts the speed dot to to save Morak. Yeah, and normally is suspiciously absent from the combat. Yeah, I don't know what she's doing. So Morak is facing a, a great troll. As you say, his, his arm gets um, cut off. And mm -hmm. um, Bitterin, who's just picked up this bow, gets five arrows off, it, off of it during the combat. All five hit. So that's pretty good hit rate for somebody who's just picked up a, a bow, although he does know speed dart, so we suspect yeah. that this is something which is understated in his biography. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just the, the problem is that he, he can hit the troll, but he can't go through the armor no, mostly. No. Yeah. The story story of all adventurers. But never <laughs> never mind because Rurik is here. Yeah. Oh, Rurik so, turns up. What's what's your problem with the Rurik? <laughs> <laughs> well, he spoils a good fight for a start. What's Rurik doing? 
he's hero questing or something. Oh, he's on a hero quest. <laughs> so everybody's hero questing. Yeah, everybody's hero questing. Um, yeah, this is possibly why in RQG era we're all really keen to understand about hero questing because. <laughs> we were tantalized with it yes. uh, for so long. So, so Rurik Brick just turns up, spoils, spoils the, the part, uh, saves the party, uh, so yeah. spoils the fun, and basically stamps all over the event. Yeah. So he's, uh, he's disappointed to learn that, that um, Bitterin no longer has the golden armor. So is, has he been stalking him? I don't think so. I think he just saw, like, Viturian had it with him when he was at the Sundom Temple, right? He got it as a reward for surviving the um, abduction by Rurik. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he just sees that he doesn't have it anymore. Um, actually, you know, if Viturian wanted to make sure, because Viturian is very upset at the trolls stealing his stuff, so I'm pretty sure that if he was, you know, not necessarily i mean it's maybe not a good idea to not be honest to yelmalian but he could tell rurik that oh i had the armor but the, the trolls stole it and so oh. that's a good way to get rurik to go and uh, to go after the trolls and find his stuff <laughs> oh that's a very good idea i like that yeah the problem is when rurik realizes that he's been lied to then that's maybe the problem yeah <laughs> well, so um, still, it, instead of the golden armor, he gets some fire sticks. Yeah, um, whatever fire sticks might be. Yeah, I'm not sure what the fire sticks are. But he, um, he does get three of them, so yeah, that appears to be satisfied. So, what do you think got the Zorak Zorani to attack Bitterns camp? Because my theory is that Morak has got some chaos taint and that they attacked like they sensed it and they attacked the camp because of that and it's not just any random attack i'm not exactly sure what they're doing out of all of this um the cult segments i find this one to be the least satisfying yeah um like you mean the story or the cult write-up the, 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 the story right um it's it feels kind of like, oh, we need to get some Zoraxoranis in. Let's just have a raid. <laughs> you know, they don't really do anything. They don't. The, the, the undead thing isn't played up. Yeah, it's true. We didn't. Uh, they, they could have had a couple of skeleton trolls attacking the camp just for yeah. good measure. Uh, the, the only thing which we get is all oh, their berserk, and that's not really played up. Yeah. You know, it's this case of so they're going and nicking stuff and slaughtering. Well, yeah, it's a bit of bit of a shame. I think it's an opportunity wasted. Um, so is is he carrying something that's of particular use? The only thing which I could come up with to try and work out why they might be doing it was that Bitron picked up the lead glove in Trolltown. Mm-hmm. And that this might be some from the the, um, the son of a, a dead troll, um, mm-hmm. that this somehow might be connected with the Zodarks Rank cult. You know, is it something which they want back? Is it. Yeah. You know, um, no, they could just ask and pay for it like civilized people. <laughs> uh, 
right makes might, I believe, is the uh, the expression when it comes to Xerox RAM. <laughs> yes, um, and, yeah, and probably all trolls. So yeah, cool. It's a it's a bit of a mystery why they've done. Perhaps they thought that they were Rurik. Mm. Or maybe it, it would be funny if the you know, through divination and stuff like that. The Zorak Zoroni are hero questing and saying like, go here because you'll be able to kill a light sun. And Yalmalio says to Rick, oh, go here and you'll be able to kill Zorak Zorani. And Bitterin is just there and saying like, couldn't you, couldn't you go meet over there instead? Yeah, it, it, it's, his, it's his luck, isn't it? Well, you know, he's, yeah. he's still, you know, bad luck follows him because he's got Morak with him. And so, well, yeah, yeah maybe he was at the wrong place at the wrong time, and it was just supposed to be between the Zorak Zorani and the Yelmalion. But I don't know. I don't even know. I don't even know what kind of hero questing Rurik is doing that would send him there anyway. So no, I mean he's well, he does accompany the group who's now you know, severely depleted. So yeah. yeah, he tags along, but I mean that's still like you know Yelmalion doing a hero questing on his own. Like he he doesn't show up with anybody else, and so probably not. Although in the next section there is a mention of a scout, which we don't necessarily know who. Well, I thought that was one of Peturian's scouts, but it could could, could be. Um, mm-hmm. But either way, if he's going to. The next block, there is a clear thing which he could be going to, but we can True. come on to yes. it. Okay. On to yeah. it. The only, I think the only thing out left on this section that really struck me was you've got um, Yamalio and Orlanthes working together, which mm-hmm. yeah. you just go, ooh, um, yeah, that's a bit odd. But there's precedence for it yeah. because don't, don't forget we have uh, it Osh, Oshkosh, the Odorous, was an Orlanthi who was one of uh, Rurik's original adventuring band. Oh, um, right. Yes. Okay. The, there is also the, you were mentioning animal tales. Once again, yeah. there's a bunch of animals that got slaughtered in the combat. And once again, they are bearing the tails of the mules. Yeah. Again, if we just bought a load of tails, why aren't we, um, and we were going to save them, then why wouldn't we add these tails to the saved pile? So again, you know, is this um, Nora Leap going, if you want me, then this is the way we do business there. Uh, the cool thing is that because they have a bunch of dead mules, they don't have enough mules to carry their stuff. So whatever they can't carry, they actually bury and put a lock on it, like the, the lock spell, which I found was an interesting use of the lock spell because I always figured that lock needs to be done on like, you know, something like a door a chest a whatever and it didn't occur to me to use lock on dirt effectively yeah well, you could build a kisk i guess um the all this stuff is probably going to be in sacks and boxes or something so but yeah, yeah. it's uh it's a it, yeah it's a it's an interesting um ambiguous use of the spell yeah. which he had, now has access to so that means that Locke has also come out of the Shalana Ruin through stone. So things are things are not going well somewhere that true stone is being used. But yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the last thing is that uh, Zorak Zorani have a tradition called the Blood Vengeance, 
which is that if you kill a Zorak Zorani, the other Zorak Zorani are going to try their best to track you down and slice you in many small bits. And so from now on, they have to, you know, remember to look over their shoulder whenever they're near troll towns. Well, Well, you say that, but technically it was Rurik that killed them all. Sure. Okay, yeah. Um, I'm, I think... I'm sure I'm sure that the berserked Zorak Zorani that comes after Biturian will definitely take the five seconds to wait so that Biturian can say, like, it wasn't me. Technically, it wasn't me. Yes, yeah, so suddenly, <laughs> suddenly um, Biturian gets very interested in learning a musical instrument. <laughs> yes. Okay, let's move on to... Uh, finishing the travels through those rugged foothills, and what I assume they come to is the redwood, the redwood forest, which isn't actually named in Coast of Prax, but that's the forest that you can see on the uh, on the guide to Glorantha maps, and it says that there's some Aldriami in there. Biturian, his scout and his allied spirit spot some stealthy elf presence in the forest but uh, it's only i think only after a couple days at least that the elves actually formally announce themselves and come and meet the people uh they rurik is traveling with them at this point so like you said maybe he was on the maybe his hero quest is continuing here and at first the the elves only talk to rurik but once rurik vouches for biturian then the elves um, agree to actually address Biturian and not just uh, rudely ignore him. Uh, Morak seems very happy to be in an elf forest and befriends some elf runners on their way to the elf grove. So elf runners are basically like small scrub and bushy bush elves. Uh, we get the obligatory elf beverage that is awesome because that's a you know, common fantasy trope. Uh, and we finally arrive to what I assume is the Aldria High Holiday Festival thing, yeah. uh, where the locals are happy to have an Isaris priest bless the um, the the place. Morak becomes a lay member of Aldria. Uh, he's not the only non-elf there. There's like other non-elves. Like there's even a dragon newt uh, becoming a lay member. Uh, afterwards, Biturin does a bit of trading, and finally, Morak meets a adult, all-grown Minotaur with like big horns, and without even saying goodbye, you know that ungrateful brat, he just goes with the Minotaur in the woods, and uh, that's the last we see of Morak, who supposedly has found his kin at last. First of all, we have an error on the dates. So I think that it's a misprint. I think it's fire season, harmony week, fire, uh, sorry, fire day, harmony week, fire season, not sea season, because fire day, harmony week, fire season, we'll put it on an Aldraya holy day and a holy day of Yelm. Yeah, but is... not the Aldraya high holy day, which is in sea season. Ah, but it will put it on the summer solstice. Hmm. Which yeah. would be the um, what it's called? It's the summer festival. Um, so they they tally up. Although the dates, even though you add up the dates, it's still a couple of days out. 
Well, actually, it's also a high... Ho- no. It's also a high holiday. Does Aldraya have multiple high holidays? Because it looks like it also has a high, high holiday on second week of fire season. Yes, that's that's the one. It's the uh, summer one. It, can, it um, coincides with the... With the summer solstice. solstice with yeah. the summer solstice. Maybe it's that, but then... Wait a second, because it's... A great council meeting. Yeah, I guess if it's if it's day two, second week of fire season, then yeah, that would be the Aldraya high holiday that is also the summer solstice. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. That's a that's a good theory. They forgot to type an extra I. Possible. And, that, and that's something which gets carried over to the compendium. Um yeah, I only checked the new print-on-demand PDF, and I know that it has a few typos possibly caused by the OCR process, because, for example, like, Pavis is often showing up as Paris, which is... Uh, no, that, which is that's, just, that's just another way to pronounce it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, but so, yeah, I didn't check. Maybe we should check the, the original printings, because maybe it's also an OCR mistake. Or did, did you actually check the... The original books? So I looked at the uh, second printing, okay, uh, cool. which yeah. is 521. Okay. Uh, uh, and in the Cult's Companion, it's the same thing. Yeah, it's, it's um, five Harmony Week CCs, um, according to the runes. So I just think that somebody forgot to add one on the on that. And then, then it makes sense with the, the last week being, it's a week then, on from the last encounter right yeah actually yeah actually that's probably it because the previous one the zorak zoran is like week eight of sea season so it can go back in time to week two of sea season so yes yeah. I, I think you're right good Mis- mystery, mystery solved, solved. <laughs> and if it is yelm's high holy day yeah being summer solstice that's what Rurik is doing knocking around right yeah it all makes sense cool. so he just happens to be heading towards um, the same place and sees his old mate, Bitron, in distress. <laughs> yes. And pops in. So cool. there we go. Nice. So there is some Aldria worship. Like we said, there's some lay members being inducted into lay membership. Uh, there's also some initiations going on. I love how the initiates receive a bow seed. So I assume it's like a seed you plant in the ground and there's a, an elf bow that, um, that grows. Uh, I generally yep. love the, the whole idea that elves grow their tools as plants. It's like you grow, you have like a bush of arrows and you grow your arrows instead of making them. Love it. Even to the the rumors of there being plants that will grow um, metal weapons. Oh, yeah. yeah. So there we have the the famously the elf bow, which they are trying to grow and can't be used by any other um, species. And even when it's used by another elf, then it's it's um, not as not as good in the hand. But yeah, if you're a human initiate, you can't use a elf bow what it says it's oh, only work yeah. with elves your growth may vary <laughs> yeah, um, yeah yeah but uh yeah so they're being given their seeds to plant and then they're going to grow it for a year and 
then have a nice... Actually, no, they must be able to use it because if you're a non-human, so if you're a non-elf, you still get your thing and it takes two years to grow. Oh, okay. Yeah, because yeah. You're, humans are not as good with the... Um, how is it like the... Uh, you know, clipping all the little bits uh, all year round, like, you know, like... Um, bonsai. Like bonsai, yeah. <laughs> also, the, the, humans famously don't have really particularly affinity with the plant room. In, in fact, joining our drawers is very limited to all of the elf kind. Yeah. Beast folk, humans, dragon newts, and ducks. No other race are allowed to join. Oh, yeah? Okay. Hmm. So, if Morak is being initiated, yeah, because we haven't had the big spoiler yet, it means he isn't a way, it clearly isn't a duck or, an, or a dragon yet. So, yeah. he's either human mm-hmm. or maybe beast folk. Yeah. He's not getting initiated, though. He's just getting lay membership. Even to join, full stop. I think he's in the line of lay members. I mean, the way the way I understood it is that he becomes a lay member. He does become a lay member. Right. Yes. So in, in order to become a lay member, he must be one of those... Um, oh, it's a, it's a limitation also on lay membership, not just of, on initiates? Of lay membership. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, okay. So we have we have some foreshadowing, if we haven't already guessed that he's actually you know, a minotaur. <laughs> yes. Just to uh, put that in. Yeah. Um, as an aside, uh, Viterian mentions his Earth worshipper wife here. So I don't know if he got lucky with Nora Yip on the on the trip or. Well, you see, yeah, yes, I think that they still. I think they get hitched by tradition by a traditional marriage at pairing stones. As, as discussed in the last thing, because that is the place where people of different cultures go to get married. Mm. You'll disagree. But he does refer to her as wife, but then yeah. he also refers to her as an earth priestess. Now, is this a, a courtesy thing, or is she actually mm-hmm. a priestess who can do things probably like animal funeral rites, etc.? So has she leveled up in more ways <laughs> than one? Or maybe he's... Just trying to prop up his uh, his girlfriend, uh, but yeah, no, they they eloped possibly. Yeah, I think you said I think you said it was a, a dick move on his part. You are now free now. Marry me. Let's yeah. go to Gretna, <laughs> let's just go to Gretna Green or your your own equivalent. Um, minotaurs or minotaurs or whatever you um, they are beastmen and like all beastmen they were somehow created through freak dna experimentations by the by the empire of the warm friends by the remakers um yeah they usually live in beast valley but it does say that you can find some of them in elf forests so that all makes sense yeah so there may be a few in the redwood forest and if they live in the elf forest it would make sense that they have to be lay member of aldraya first to be able to live here so yeah checks out uh we we know they're um connected with the earth rune so that all tallies Mm -hmm. this giant uh minotaur has knocked up so he's obviously allowed into that area 
the the only thing you know obviously we get the thing we go oh maybe Morak is a minotaur gosh mm-hmm. um which is which is fine um i mean the only thing that just this is my cynical mind working over time is that we've only got Bitrin's word for it no thus i was the last to see Morak when he left now you know little brother is cramping Bitrin's style quite a lot you know and potentially is cursed because he quote owns uh morak and so he could essentially make up anything oh yeah the elves took him he went away with the, and really all he's done is just had a word with those trolls that are now shadowing and going look just take the boy <laughs> yeah. we'll call it so he, just... he got he got rid of the cursed boy so that he could uh so that he could bone his older sister <laughs> yeah yeah pretty much um but it, but you know if that is the case it's worked because now that now the dwarves the, the dwarf, now the elves have said oh by the way there's some trade around the back if you want so yeah there you go he gets some trade now i think it's interesting he he has not gone there to trade that's my reading. They have gone there specifically to offload. I mean, to offload to um to um present Morak up for um initiate up for lay membership for being taken on by the adoption. Adoption is better yeah. by the Aldrami. But as a side bonus, they get some trade. Yeah, of course, as you've already pointed out, um, what he can actually trade might not be exactly elf friendly yeah um, <laughs> maybe he traded morak well not only has he got all of his stuff nicked by the trolls yeah all he's got is the stuff that they managed to loot from the troll encampment right but yeah i don't imagine there's anything there that the, the elves really want unless you can use it somehow to fight the trolls or something or to invoke trolls in some hero quest summons or whatever yeah the last thing is the epilogue which shows up in the appendices of cults of prax uh, Biterion and Noriyip reach Adari, which is a frontier town between Prax and Shadows Dance. Uh, as such, it is visited by all manners of people from these lands, human, trolls, elves, and other lesser races. Isaris supposedly has a fine, temp- uh, a fine temple there. Uh, and there, there's some more name dropping. Biterion meets <laughs> Margrath. Uh, just for fun, uh, finds that one of his followers is Jarring Blade Song, which is one of the Orlanthi that fought off the Lunar Assassins back in New Pavis. Uh, and because Biturin helped him a bit back then, um, Jaren gets Argrath to marry Biturin and Norayip with a, a nice official Lightbringer ceremony. Um, and then, in attendance of the wedding, uh, suddenly arrive some can and his wife, like a, a bison tribe can and his wife, which makes Nora happy because she's part of the bison tribe. And they gift a whole bunch of bison to Biturin and Norayip. So now instead of mules, they have bisons and they go off in the sunset, um, 
to well not the sunset because you don't want to travel by night but <laughs> you get the meaning uh they go off uh to their new life and so he's uh he's all happy he's got uh bigger beasts to carry more goods and he has a new wife so yeah i got i got not much about it except that um yeah it, it sounds like they're trying to sort of wrap up and bring back uh, a couple of characters for fun and of course Argrath of course gets uh gets a, a cameo it's a it's a you know Dory's a, a nice place to um to do a recap on you know there that to bring in other people obviously it is the place is the birth, birthplace of Lord Pavis so that ties back into the, the whole Pavis scene um it's a allegedly a place where all of these other races can can meet you know, i.e a miniature dragon pass, i.e. a miniature Pavis. Mm-hmm. Um, nice, there's a nice fine temple there so that he can trade his goods because it's been about six weeks since the High Holy Day. Oh, since the, the, the so he's gone on what that's quite a long way, even though his journey was uneventful. He's had elves carrying the goods he's got, so he obviously has been able to trade something, yeah. even. We don't have Rurik mentioned. Uh, yeah. We don't have um, Choker mentioned. Mm-hmm. So have they moved on? Yeah, maybe they went down back south while he went west to Adari. Yeah. Although you would imagine he would maybe go, well, maybe now that he has the bison, maybe he will go back east to where he buried a whole bunch of stuff with the lock on it. That's maybe his next stop. Always possible. So we we, we run into uh, Argrath Dragonspear and we meet um, Jarang Bladesong again. Um, we probably don't need to recap on his interaction and where he fits in. That'll be back in the previous episode. Please go and watch the previous episode. <laughs> but he does say he helped to cover Jarang's escaped from the lunar gods by getting them drunk mm-hmm. which must be a reference to Pavis's purchase of approximately 220 liters of ale which was drunk by the revelers yeah um of which we know both Durang and the um lunars were present at so presumably that's what that's a reference for yeah so then we have this big marriage ceremony with like poems and and lots of lots of details about like wedding stuff. We we have all of the light bringers represented, with the exception of Ginajar. Even we yeah. even have Fleshman brought there as a as a beggar. I yeah. like the fact that the uh, that um, Ermal is um, trunk. Um, <laughs> yeah, Trickster is drunk. But this is an expensive wedding, and I don't want to say that um, you know. The churn is tight, but he is yeah. careful with his money. So it, as far as he's concerned, he's already married. He's said it uh, at least once, yeah. my wife. Yeah, he's splashing out for this big ceremony. So is this something to, to make it official in the eyes of, I don't know, the law? Is it something that Nori is asking for? Is this a kind of um, makeup for losing brother who knows but it seemed really excessive 
Yeah. Um, and but just an excuse to bring it. Oh, you know, he's in love. He's not counting. Uh, love makes <laughs> fools of us all, all. But there's, you know, th- there's so much magic flying around. You know, we've we've got um, the uh, uh, extra market protection spell being um, yeah. cast. We've got uh, cloud call being cast, and then we have suspicious people lurking in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, even even Argrath is casting a bunch of magic to uh, to call some thunder and lightning and some wind and all that. I mean, they're going all in. So, I mean, this is something special, something special that's going on. So, yeah. is is this? And I want to stick on my Yorg hat, and yeah. I'm not going to do a, a fake German accent because <laughs> that, that's terrible. But I'm going to say, is this the conclusion of Baturin's hero quest? Has he been on a hero quest all the time? It's just somebody forgot to tell us that at the beginning and that this is the the intersection of all these different hero quests that are going on because he is actually on a hero quest. And this is the last part that, that everything comes together. And there you go. He's, he's done his hero quest to get a wife. I mean... I don't see how it being a hero quest would justify getting like a all expenses wedding. No, neither do I, but you know, <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a hero quest and who knows? And also, we... yeah, I mean, you know, you, you, you know that I don't like the, you know, everything is a hero quest. It's like, no, it's just, it's just an adventure. Yeah. It's a normal, plus then, you know, I don't, I don't subscribe to the sort of um, inception thing where you're on a hero quest and you've got people coming to you asking you to go on a hero quest and you go in a hero quest in the hero quest. It's, no. Nah. <laughs> I now take off my York hat. <laughs> but, you know, it, it could be cool to, Think of of the Inception hero quest where the hero quest in the hero quest, you know, you do some sort of magical challenge. And, you know, what does it mean to bring a curse into your first level hero quest, you know? Yeah. (laughs) So it's, but anyway, no, for me, it was just a, um, the ups and downs of traveling in Prax. So the one thing which does come out uh, towards the end is that we have... This random woman casting spells on the newlyweds. Yeah, it felt like there was something to be guessed here, but I'm not clever enough to guess what the hell that is. No, because it's an older initiate who's in, who's doing a fertility charm. Yeah. And then the second voice comes in and finishes off. Now, we don't know who it is. Maturin doesn't Could recognize her. Could it be Ginajar, like you were saying that she's the only one missing. So is that maybe the stand-in for Ginajar? It's possible. It's interesting because Baturin finds out who it is, but doesn't recognize her. Yeah. But then is when he's introduced um, by Norleep, it's Verena Kawai. Now, he knows Verena oh, Kawai wait, because... That, are you sure it's the same? Yeah. Uh, but, but, oh, but, right. Um, yes. So I, note, I noted the chanting woman waiting too, and with her was a bison car, mystery solved. Yeah, so but I, th- I thought that was... Yeah, no, I guess she wouldn't be an Arnaldo initiate. She would be an Erythia initiate. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Or at least uh, uh, a priestess of 
um, an earth cult. Right. So the, mystery, the, so the mysterious woman would be the bison priestess. Yes, who would okay. be Farina Kawai. Mm, okay. Right. Now, his his met her, so he only met her last year. Maybe she was wearing a veil. Maybe there was some kind of magic. Yeah, because um, he was he was at her wedding, right? He was. Uh, yeah. In fact, and he, it, it, he was bamboozled into giving expensive gifts by Nora. Yes. In fact, he gave her a silver tiara with a reflection matrix in it and, mm. quote, a costly item, exclamation mark, unquote. Um, <laughs> so, you know, this kind of sticks out. And um, as Marina is a priestess, because um, Nami is given a wedding gift, which was the um, the five iron arrowheads, which, he's, which he has to hold until he is a Khan by a rune lord. And she says that they're bought in good luck. So she's now a priestess. So that all ties in. But what spell she's doing is beyond me and kind of suspicious about what it might be. I couldn't see anything that there might Blessing be. pregnancy. Like, Victorian uh, <laughs> doesn't know it yet, but he's going to be a dad. <laughs> uh, well, that happens later. We can come on to that. Um, but, yeah, not not for a while. So, yeah. It's just interesting. Yeah. It's also possible that, uh, you know, most of the expensive, like maybe Varanina and Narmid, the, the bison tribe, can and the priestess, maybe they paid for most of this wedding to thank uh, Viterion for giving such a generous gift. Oh, do you want to come on to that? So I might have done a little bit of maths. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> so, um... So there's uh, they, they get given seven bison. That's um, the seven bison plus a young bull. Yeah. Um, now at the standard RQ three rate, uh, sorry, at the standard RQG rate, um, that's two hundred and forty lunas. Okay. That's that's a not insignificant wedding gift. Yes. Mm-hmm. But a year ago, when things were not so happy between um, Narali and Maturin. Yeah. He got rooked for um, one yellow null for each holy wood. So we don't know how much that yellow null, uh, yellow null for, but let's just say one. So let's just say five lunars. Each warrior present, a leather belt knife set with pretty stones or a cheap bronze dagger. Now, a cheap bronze dagger is only one clack, so we'll say one clack per warrior. Warrior, we know that there's quite a few warriors yeah. there. A various junk, which he loses to the chieftain. A blank piece of true stone, he loses one of those. Now he sells one of those for 1500 lunar, so we'll just go with 1500 lunar on that. And then there's the personal gifts. So three mules loads, which is 19 encumbrance, if you're really interested, um, <laughs> of, of, of one, one, one of salt. Now, salt, good salt, go, which is 30 milligrams of salt, goes for one lunar. So you do the maths on oh converting God. grams into salt. Spices, local spices per 100 milligrams is between one and five lunars. Um, or you can just go sod it. Um, a chest of spices, a cook's chest is uh, two in Canvas at 10 lunar. So yeah. there you go. And oats I couldn't find a price for, but yeah, you can just make that up. 
So just that alone is is considerably more. I mean, you're looking just if you were to go a spice chest, which is encumbrance of two, a ten lunar. Um, so you're looking at what almost two hundred lunas just for for that on one mule. Mm-hmm. Then you've got the silver tiara with the ref- with the reflection matrix in it. Now, in uh, weapons and equipment guide, that would come under uh, as a hair ornament, mm-hmm. which could be up to a, a thousand luna plus the cost of the reflection matrix. Yeah. So yeah, that's so just that's a, a that's a total of what like four thousand. Yeah, five thousand lunars all together. Yeah, let's say that. And then you've got five iron tipped arrows. Ooh, okay. So when you add all that up, uh, well, it's considerably more than four hundred, two hundred and forty um, lunars worth of livestock. Yeah. So no, my 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 point was that not only do they give the bison, but they also pay for. You know, the Isaris priest casting the extra spell and they hire Argrath. Like they basically pay Argrath backstage to come and officiate and they pay like basically they maybe they organize the whole wedding is my point. So how, you know, how how much would it cost to rent the Isaris temple to get Argrath to come do a cameo and, uh, you know, and a signing with the fans? You know, maybe it's... Also around 5,000 lunars. That would be a very big party. Uh, It would also, you know, explain where he says done. That would uh, would be good. Although he does have to go and buy some more food and wine because he does invite the priests, the friends and the initiates as well. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But that would make more sense. And that would certainly be sharing the luck that um, Verena and Nami talk about. Yeah. There's one more thing on on that discussion, which is another thing about tales. Yeah. So when, uh, because of the giving of the null flowers to the bison flower clan, they struck up a friendship with an elf, and now they've got a deal with the elves that says that the elves will return beast tales if the by some people will return the elves that they've freed from the lunars and the yes. goddess is pleased. Mm-hmm. Can you see the big flaw in this? So uh, the bison tribe, or at least the clan, the flower clan, would return beast tails. No, the, the elves will return beast tails to the bison clan. Yes. And the bison clan will return elves that they free from the lunars back to the elves yes i'm not sure that the elves will find many bison in their forest and so yeah. it looks like the elves get a way better deal because they don't have fuck all to do so elves are vegetarian yeah so why are they getting tails well that's my point the elves made that deal knowing full well that they don't have anything to do because First, they don't have any bison in their forest. And second, they don't even care about bison anyway. Okay. By, so, by, by the way, don't say that elves are vegetarian. Say that, say that elves are cannibals. It sounds better. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, it's mentioned some of the, the vegetarian cannibals. Yeah. Um, so on the other side, you've got the bison clan who have liberated 
elves from the lunars. Great. Yeah. But notice they're not sending them on their way because now they're slaves of the clan mm-hmm. by right of contrast. So they've got elf slaves. Yes. I mean, we don't know that. We just assume. Well, otherwise, why don't they just go, off you go, go on, go back, tell tell your people to send us some tales. Yeah. So what you've got here is is that moment in Terry Pratchett um, where they're talking about the taxation problem and it says close the rats farms because the the bison folk are going, we've just liberated some um, elves. We've got these slaves. We don't really know what to do with them. Um, mm-hmm. Let the elves know. And the elves go, oh, okay, cool. We've, we've, we've got some tails. Hey, Frank, go and, go and kill some of them beasts for their tails. <laughs> um, so this, this, this deal is an odd one. Um, yeah, but you know, maybe the elves are going and, and doing the trolls for the tales because we know that the trolls have animal tales that they're not burying. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, yeah it's uh, it's an interesting side note. Um, but anyway, as long as the goddess is pleased, that's all that matters. Anyway, um, well, that was the travels of Bitter and Varosh. Um, I mean, overall, it's it's a great read. Uh, it adds a lot of color and flavor to Glorantha, I think. Um, so I would recommend anybody to read it if they haven't already. And if they haven't already, I don't know why they've been listening to us ramble on about it for many hours. But um, morbid yes. curiosity. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's all I can I can think. Um, yeah, I should say that post Kulsaprax, mm-hmm. um, is mentioned twice. Yeah, so once in, in the Sartar Companion mm-hmm. on page one two three, it tells you about Chiron and Norley, but um, set in the years between sixteen eighteen and sixteen twenty one. Um, tells you that they are expecting their first child. Um, and then in Pegasus Plateau, mm-hmm. a trader known as Sonny Swenston is cousin to Butcherin. So that puts Butcherin into the, um, the new RQG uh, quite nicely. Cool. And I thought that. Um, the Stafford House Campaign document, which is now yep. out on the JC, also mm-hmm. has one reference uh, on page sixty-nine, uh, which I thought kind of kind of summed up. I think what we've been talking about really, mm-hmm. which says, "I'm glad you like uh, Bichiran's journal. I thought that examples would enhance the understanding." They provide a mundane example of the usage of the cult in the world as opposed slash compared to the lofty mythological ideas of the text. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Drew, thank you for accompanying, accompanying us uh, across Prax and providing all your um, crazy theories. It has been my absolute pleasure and yes, crazy ideas. Sure. I mean, <laughs> yes. Um, for everybody listening, if you haven't already, 
pick up the um, Rubble Redux books, the Highways and Byways, the Duck Packs, and everything else that uh, you have written. Thank you very much. Uh, other JC materials are also available. Please support um, the authors on the Johnstown Companion. We love to write for people who love to read. <laughs> yes. Um, there will be links in the show notes. And until next time, uh, safe travels, Drew. Thank you very much. And the same to you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The God Learners. Our website is godlearners.com where you can find episodes, newsletters, and articles about Glorantha. Reach us via email at collective at godlearners.com or via Twitter or Facebook at The God Learners for any questions or feedback. We are The God Learners. Question everything to the void and beyond. beyond.